Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm your host, Heather Vale, and today I'm speaking with Sandra Lambert, founder of the Feed My Sheep Homeless Outreach. Sandra received the Vegas Stronger Champion Award for giving back to the community, and her organization regularly hits the streets with home-cooked feedings, a monthly potluck in the park, and more. Sandra, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. What was it that prompted you to start the Feed My Sheep Homeless Outreach in the first place? I think, honestly, God placed it on my heart, first and foremost. I also believe because I have two addict nieces, and they have both lived off and on the streets. Uh, one of them is clean now. The other one is still, we don't hear from her very much. And I think that that really played a big role in me doing what I do. I just know many years ago, I just one day felt the need that I needed to collect coats for the homeless. And that's kind of how it started out. Hmm. Okay. Where did the name come from? The Bible. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> Matthew 35, 25, and 26 is where it kind of what the what our Feed My Sheep is all about. You know, where Jesus says, if you're hungry, then you feed them. Give me, you know, food. Give me water. A roof over my head. And just basically to help people. You know, that's what it's all about. It's so easy to do. And so many people should do it. And we don't often enough. Yeah. How bad is the homeless problem in the Las Vegas Valley? Well, I would say it's pretty bad. I know we have over 7,000 homeless on the streets. Um, that number's probably grown with COVID and everything else that's going on with the rent moratorium going away and people are being evicted from their, you know, from their homes and things like that. So it's, it's progressively, I think, getting worse. Yeah, we see it all the time. We see, you, you can tell when they're new to the streets, you know, so we, we see a lot of new people on the streets all the time. What sorts of outreach programs and events do you do to help them? Well, we have several, several things that we do. Uh, twice a month, we go out every other Saturday, we prepare a home cooked meal. We usually have about three or four vehicles that are loaded with supplies such as towels, blankets, hygiene t-shirts, tennis shoes, whatever we've collected, you know, we basically, we are, you know, 100% live off of donations. So whatever we get donated goes directly out onto the streets. And so we do that every other Saturday. It's basically about a five hour day. Uh, we have a route that we take. So we don't go and just set up and just hand out stuff. We basically, by doing it this way, are able to really build relationships with the homeless because in order to really help them, you really have to build those relationships and build their trust. So that's one of the things that we do. And then um, on the fourth Monday of each month, uh, we do a potluck in the park at Sunset Park. Uh, we feed between, I would say, 35 and 50 people on any given Monday. Um, so we set up there and then we kind of do it like a restaurant style. We we have them, you know, to be seated. We pray with them and then we, we basically make the plates and we wait on them just like they, if they were in a restaurant, you know. And again, we have a lot of volunteers there. And so we're able to sit at the tables with them and eat with them and talk to them. And again, build those relationships with them. 
So that's one of the other things we do. We recently started going to the care complex, which is over off of Four Master, which is the heart of the homeless corridor. And uh, we feed, gosh, within about a two-hour period, we feed about 250 people. Again, we everything we do is a home-cooked meal. We're kind of known for our cooking. Mm, <laughs> and wow. So, uh, yeah. And so everybody really looks forward to it. It's, not, it's so cool because, you know, we're always hearing, gosh, that tastes just like my, my mama used to make, you know, and it just, I don't know, it just does something to me. But so the care complex, uh, we, we do the same thing. We provide them with food. We provide them with all of the you know supplies that we get and we pray with them. And again, it's a little bit harder to build those relationships there because, you know, it is basically set up as a table and the people come through in a line. So, but I would say it usually runs from about nine to 12. And again, we, we've only done it twice and we've serviced about 250 people each time we've done it. So very rewarding though, you know, it's, it's helping a new group of people. So it's, we're just kind of expanding the more people that we can reach out to and, you know, build those relationships. The ultimate goal is really just to see what we can do to help them get off the streets. If that's really what they want. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So the fourth Monday of every month that puts the next potluck in the park this coming Monday, April 25th. Yes. Uh -huh, that's correct. Okay. And what time would that be? We get there about five o'clock and set up and then we start serving at 530 and we're usually finished serving around 630. And so again, we'll have a home cooked meal for them and supplies and everything and just kind of hang out with them and get to know them. And, you know, I think it's really important for me anyway to learn their names. And so I've been doing this. I'm going into my fourth year, you know, and I think it just means so much to them when you can look them in the eyes and call them by their name, you know, and just give them a hug and just let them know that they are a real person. And that they're not beneath us just because they live on the streets. You know, everybody has a story and everybody's story is different. You know, it's not just about drug addiction. It's there's so many mentally ill people on the streets and it's just it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's heartbreaking and your hands are tied because we just don't have enough resources in this town. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. How do you think what you do with Feed My Sheep differs from what some of the other homeless outreach programs might offer? Well, I think we all play a role. Um, I, again, I think it's all about building those relationships, you know, and, you know, because we are out on the streets and we just we go to little small groups. So we're able to spend time with them. You know, I don't know that we're any different. I mean, we, we are Christ-based. And so not only do we feed them physically, but we try to feed them spiritually. We try to pray with them. And really, we do try to utilize and learn what resources are actually out there so that we can help them. Because, like I said, the resources are so limited and they're all different for different categories of people, unfortunately. Yeah. What kinds of success stories have you seen that you could share with us? Well, we have quite a few success stories. We have the first one is, I guess, closest and nearest and dearest to my heart. But we had a veteran. His name is Al. And he was on the streets for, I think, three or four years. He actually went out on the streets to write a book about homelessness. And he wound up becoming homeless because he was just a very giving soul. And um, anyway, so we got him off the streets. We, um, I, I literally picked him up, took him down to the VA sat with him all day. And I asked him, I said, you know, do you care if I go into the doctors with you? Do you care if I go into these interviews with you, whatever, so that I can learn? He was like, Oh, absolutely not. So that's exactly what I did. And I was his advocate. 
And I believe that that is one of the most important things that we can do is to become their advocate, because I believe that they are treated a little bit differently when they're there by themselves versus when they have an advocate with them. So we sat there all day and we literally got him into temporary housing that day. He was in temporary housing. I know it was amazing. We literally, I mean, we had about 20 minutes to get to our destination, but we got there, got him in, got him checked in. And so then he was in temporary housing for, I would say, about four or five months. He's now in permanent housing. So, you know, once we get him into housing, we also like to help them fill their place, you know. So we got him, you know, we provided him with all the furniture, all everything that he needed to, you know, to make it feel like a home. And so he actually goes out on the streets with us now when he can. And he helps to give back, uh, you know, to the homeless community. And then we also offer when we run into people who, let's say, came here, like there was a couple of girls from Colorado and they had gone to California and really had just kind of gone on a vacation, but really didn't have the money to do it. Anyway, they Hmm. wound up here in Vegas and they were on the streets for about eight, eight nights. And we were driving home one day and just pulled up beside them and asked them if they'd like, you know, something to drink and eat. And one of them just started crying, you know, so literally what we did was we made contact with their family in Colorado. We, we make sure that they have a place to go to because we don't want them to, you know, just be homeless here and then send them to another city to be homeless. So we make sure that they have family that will take them in. And so we put them on a bus and got them back to Colorado. That happens quite a bit. We, we do that a lot. And um, just, we help people with their birth certificates, trying to get them ID cards, things like that. Without an ID card, they can do absolutely nothing. I mean, Hmm. literally nothing. So those are the types of things we try. And then we we try to get them plugged into the the proper resources, such as, you know, the courtyard or uh, Catholic charities, Hope Link. Hope Link's been amazing. You know, just different different resources that are already doing it. You know, at one point I thought, oh, I need to recreate this, you know, because I could do it better. (laughs) (laughs) Not always better to recreate. So the thing for me is it's learning what resource does what for whom, you know? And so as you delve into that and do it more frequently, then, you know, it's a little bit easier to do. Okay. So how can members of the community help you in your mission? Well, we're always looking for volunteers. We need cooks to cook behind the scenes. We need people to hit the streets with us. We need people to sort through donations, uh, collect donations, donate money to the outreach. Um, Again, every penny that comes into the outreach goes back into the outreach. All the clothing we get, all of the supplies, everything goes directly out onto the street. So, you know, basically donating, just giving back to the community. It it can just be the smallest thing, you know? I mean, maybe you aren't fit or in health-wise to go out and spend five hours in the sun. So, you know, cook a meal, you know, and then deliver it to the house and then we take it out and serve it little things like that. Okay. So how do people find out more about what you're doing or sign up to volunteer to help out at either the potluck in the park, street feedings, or other initiatives? We have a Facebook group page, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash feed my sheep outreach. And then we also have a, we have a website. They could literally check out feedmysheepoutreach.com. And then basically I communicate through the Facebook group page. I usually have a calendar of events that I post towards the end of the month for the following month so that you can get it on your calendar. And then for each event, I do a post and that's where I'm looking for the volunteers, whether they want to cook, whether they want to hit the streets, whether they want to, you know, provide a service as we go out, things like that. So yeah, everything is on the group Facebook page. 
Okay, awesome. So once again, if you want to help out with the Feed My Sheep Homeless Outreach, you can find out more information at feedmysheepoutreach.com or go to the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash feedmysheepoutreach. And there's all kinds of events going on that Sandra's running all the time. Upcoming, of course, we have the next Potluck in the Park happening on Monday, April 25th at 5.30 at Sunset Park. Sandra, thank you so much for being here and for letting the listeners know what you're doing and how they can help. It sounds like you're making a big dent out there, and I definitely applaud your efforts. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Heather. I appreciate it so much. Teachers shape the future right now. In a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who'll make preventing pandemics their life's work. Sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who'll help combat climate change. And generating possibilities for a student who'll be the first in their family to graduate college. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Maggie Colasar, General Sales Manager for Move for Less. Maggie began working at the local family-owned moving company at the start of the pandemic and is one of the few females with her position in the industry. Move for Less isn't just a moving company. They're extremely involved in community initiatives and are currently sponsoring a National Teacher Appreciation Week gift basket giveaway. Maggie, thanks so much for being here today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So why is a moving company sponsoring an initiative like the Teacher Appreciation Week gift basket? We just want to give back to the community, you know, however we can. And teachers with, you know, what they've been through, um, I mean, always, they're always heroes. But in the last couple of years with the pandemic, with, you know, masks and, and you know, being taught from home and all that. They've just, you know, been through a lot. So we want to support them um, as much as we can. And we feel like they deserve as much praise as possible. So that's our way to give back to them this week. Nice. So what exactly does the winning teacher receive as their prize? So we're going to do a uh, goodie basket and um, just a bunch of different goodies. And then a Visa $1,500 gift card that, you know, they can use really however they want. Uh, we know that they come out of pocket all the time for themselves and to make sure their classrooms are, you know, have the supplies they need. So that gift card will help there. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Now yeah. you also offer your trucks and moving staff to local nonprofits when they need to move essential items. Could you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah. So any, um, um, we've helped um, Adam's Place, uh, we've helped candle lighters, anytime uh, a company needs help with transporting um, goods or if they're moving to a bigger space, uh, senior homes, any way we can help, we will. And um, if, if nonprofits need our help, we always ask them to reach out, um, whether it's, you know, crews, trucks, we want to help however we can. So besides helping nonprofits move and the Teacher Appreciation Week gift basket, what other community initiatives has Move for Less undertaken? Um, well, currently we are doing, we did a um, design a truck art contest for local middle and high schoolers. And uh, we're going to reveal the winner. They all submitted, they designed a moving truck and submitted it. And we're going to wrap one of our trucks so it's permanently wrapped with their design. Mm -hmm. And we're going to show up to the school and reveal it the same week as Teacher Appreciation Week. And that student is going to get recognition as well as the art teacher who teaches them. 
So they'll get a gift certificate, a class party and recognition on the truck as well. So that's pretty cool. And then we do um, for this beginning of the school year in August, we do Mm -hmm. the design your own dream home. Those are on large boxes, like wardrobe boxes. And then we have six winners. They win a backpack full of goodies, AirPods, tablet, and we have a nice party at the warehouse here at Move for Less just to celebrate them and, and, you know, kind of get back to the kids that way. Okay. So moving is one of the most stressful events for people. What tips can you offer that make moving day easier? At Move for Less, we always recommend, you know, um, on-site estimates where we can come out, get people an honest quote. We like to, you know, we don't like surprises. We don't want anybody to be more stressed out or upset on move day. So I always let people know, you know, start to declutter, get rid of things you don't need. Uh, It kind of makes the process a little easier. You know, if you need help packing, that's something that we offer. I always recommend, you know, obviously hiring a professional moving company. And, um, you know, (laughs) it helps. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how do people vote for their favorite teacher in your Teacher Appreciation Week initiative? Nominations are due by midnight on Wednesday, April 27th. How would they nominate their teacher? So if you go to our website, it's moveforlessnevada.com, number four, and Nevada is spelled out. It's on the website, on the front page. There's just a little link there. It says nominate your teacher. Just fill out the basic information. Tell us, you know, why this teacher makes you smile, why they're your favorite, why they deserve it. Um, And then you submit it and we'll go with um, the teacher who gets the most nominations. Okay, so if you want to nominate your teacher, move for, numeral four, moveforlessnevada.com, and on the homepage, you'll see nominate your teacher, and the favorite teacher who gets the most nominations is going to receive a goodie basket with a $1,500 Visa gift card, which is awesome. So again, that's at moveforlessnevada.com, and nominations are due by midnight on Wednesday, that's April 27th. Wednesday is your deadline. And what else can they find when they go to the website, Maggie? Everything we've discussed, um, the upcoming will update with the Design Your Dream Home giveaway that we're going to do for the summer and beginning of the school year. And then as well as um, any other contests um, that we're going to be doing. The If you need to do like moving your community, if anybody needs assistance in, or help with moving, um, that's all on there. Any way we give back, all of our contact information and any upcoming information is on there. Okay, great. So again, it's move for numeral four, moveforlessnevada.com. You can nominate your favorite teacher for Teacher Appreciation Week. That ends on Wednesday, April 27th at midnight. You can also find out what else Move for Less is doing around the community. And of course, if you want to move, And if you're a nonprofit, be sure to reach out for moving help as well. Maggie, thank you so much for being here today. And I really appreciate you enlightening us on everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me. Elena had another asthma attack. She's really sad to miss school again. Asthma can be triggered by allergens from common pests. (coughs) I just can't shake this fever. Mosquito bites can cause West Nile and Zika virus infections. Sorry, boss. I'm going to be out of work for a while. The CDC estimates that more than 300,000 Lyme disease cases spread by ticks occur in the U.S. each year. Don't let pests force you to take a sick day. Learn how to protect your family at PestWorld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the CDC. It's Karina Delgado from 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C. And for the Odyssey app... 
as we are joined today by Bronson Griscom for Earth Day, the Senior Director of Natural Climate Solutions. Welcome. Karina, it is uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, I have to say, I'm very excited to have you here in the studio, and I mentioned this earlier. You're the first person that I've had in the studio since the beginning of the pandemic, so you are my very first guest in the new normal, in the new times. Wow. Okay, so I'm even <laughs> more honored. Um, yeah, that is that. it is so much fun to get back to a little three-dimensional, you know, back to the basic primal forms of human interaction in person. So wonderful to be here with you. Yeah, we get to share a little bit of energy instead of doing this on Zoom today. Well, of course, we're here to honor Earth Day and have a conversation about uh, what is happening with our Earth. You are the lead conservation international natural climate solutions science team so you played a key role in the strategic development of natural climate solutions science across the organization leading a research agenda that helps deliver on conservation international's climate goals which is whew, that's a mouthful and i just read that in full but what does that really mean if you want to just put that in a nutshell for our listeners well one of the things it means is that as an organization we and i should say number of other organizations, but we were, I think, in the forefront of really shifting our focus to deal with this existential crisis that brings us all together, right? Yes. Sort of global connective tissue that is bringing organizations from all walks of life together to solve this great problem and to solve a bunch of problems at the same time. And so from the environmental side, we realized it's not just environment, people and environment. Mm. And when it's people and environment, you put those together and climate is it. So that is realization that we had a number of years. And natural climate solutions, now maybe I'm being a little bit self-centered here, but it's, it's at the center of that storm. Okay. Um, in a positive way, right? Which is what are the solutions that, um, that we need not just to respond and adapt to climate, but to solve it. And is it solvable? <laughs> that is the, I mean, that is the question. That like, is the question. So it is okay. definitely solvable. Okay, because I want to know, like, straight out the gate, are we yeah. doomed or not? <laughs> yeah, so, well, I mean, I would start with just a personal sensation. Sure. In responding to that question, <laughs> which is, I, you know that feeling of surprise when you realize that you are, you have a, a role reversal? Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a second, my, I used to be this and now I'm this. So for me, I have gone from being um, chicken little, <laughs> the sky is falling, right. doomsday, folks, wake up, this is grim, basically the catastrophizer mm-hmm. in my family and in my circle of friends to sort of shifting into a role of optimism. And okay. so, so it's like, okay, so how do you put those two pieces together? Um, so I remain, let's just say, quite pessimistic. Mm-hmm about the near-term baked-in climate change. Okay. And so what that means is that, and this IPCC report, right, that just recently came out that kind of sets the stage for for Earth Day, (laughs) and it sets a grim stage. Things are worse than we thought. We are experiencing it in many parts of the world and many parts of the country. So in a sense, you know, I don't think there is that sort of dissonance between people's perception as much and the sort of science as much as there used to be. But the point is like, yeah, on the one hand, it is grim, and we have to sort of take the red pill and face that um, and think about how, how serious this is, on the one hand. However, 
um, the solution set is really exciting. Okay. And, you know, I also think not only have we been underestimating the problem, but we've been underestimating our ability to transform and solve that problem in a way that's really po powerfully positive. It doesn't just solve a problem. It gets us to a better place. So that's the contrast that I would paint <laughs> in answering your question, is it doomsday? I would say it's not doomsday. It is grim, but we have an incredible opportunity this moment in time to turn the game around more than more than before. Sure. And I want to get back to the IPCC report here in just a second. But just to uh, piggyback on what you're saying there, one thing that we've learned through the pandemic, if nothing else, is that we can do hard things. We can surmount the supposedly unsurmountable. And so with that, I think uh, where the report comes in is where we get the baseline on where we need to start. And as you mentioned just a moment ago, um, the report is actually a little more bleak than, th than they thought it was going to be. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so what we have seen, if we look back in the history of these IPCC reports, Right? So what is it? This is a huge group of scientists representing virtually every country um, getting together and arriving at what I would consider as the sort of the greatest level of scientific consensus we have known as a global society. Okay. Or, and in this case, around the great existential scientific crisis of our time, which, yes, is the pandemic, but the longer term one is climate change. And so, okay, so that's, you know, as you just referenced, so that's what this report is about, is like, what's the state of play? And then this latest, and they have a series of ones, previous ones have been kind of, you know, where are we now? It's like, what are the solutions? So these IPC reports, the reports that come out at sort of, I think is it seven-year intervals, they have consistently underestimated mm. the problem. But as a scientist, I can tell you that doesn't surprise me that much because whereas climate scientists have been painted into a place of sort of unnecessarily alarmist, Mm -hmm. I would say the opposite. I would say scientists are actually a, a conservative group of people that don't like to talk about things that they're not really sure about, right? They're sort of, let's just say, a kind of introverted, kind of hesitant, culturally group of people. And um, so what does that translate to? That translates to kind of being very careful to not overstate. That is a bias in a sense, right? And that bias towards um, being careful about what you make a statement of will tend, has led us to, I think, not surprisingly, see a series of predictions that were actually underestimating. Them. And so, again, it's not that surprising to me that now the report is saying, wow, things are a little worse thought and we thought they were bad. Sure, because at seven year intervals, if you've had series of underestimations, that is going to mount at some point. And here up. we are. So with that, um, I did read this, that the carbon emissions are still rising globally, and most countries are not on track to deliver on their climate commitments. But according to those reports, and according to your optimism, <laughs> there are things that we can do. So let's take a spin in that direction, because um, for those who care to listen those are people who want to help. So how do we give them a call to action? So we've talked about the bad news, right? Right. And now I'm thrilled that you're asking this question because this is the good news. We have a greater clarity about the solution set than we've ever had before. We have a, 
a greater set of science-based reasons mm -hmm. to implement that solution set, that toolbox. So it's more like now we have the instructions on how to put the IKEA desk together, nice. <laughs> so to speak. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that makes that makes a lot of sense, which because I think, you know, that it brings that quote to mind, the journey uh, of a thousand miles begins with one step. And so if we are able to break that down in a more of a scientific process, it makes it more manageable. And since we're talking about uh, for Earth Day, one day, one thing, what off the top of your head are the three easiest things that people can do to have the greatest impact? I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, I love, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who loves to grill meat. But in the process of the work I've been doing, what has blown me away is the impact of cows. Really? The impact of cows is kind of hard to believe when you start to wrap your head around all of our agricultural lands. So, so agriculture is one of the biggest impacts on the planet. So 70% of agricultural lands globally are used to produce 5% of our food. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, right? Right. That's kind of, kind of a sloppy system. It is a huge opportunity to... Um, while we improve the availability of food, improve people's health, because mm -hmm. actually a lot of, like in America, for example, okay, we eat a little bit less meat. Okay. See, I am all about this alliteration. So you could do Meatless Monday, and maybe you could do a Walk to Work Wednesday, and, you know, that sort of thing, as far as putting things into bite-sized pieces. Because especially when you look at a report like this, and it does seem so bleak, I think... Again, like regular people such as myself will get overwhelmed and just feel like, you know what? We're all doomed anyway. I'm just going to live my best life or whatever. But that best life could actually be a longer life and a longer life for this planet if we just make small changes to our lifestyle. Karina, you nailed it. And so I think what I would emphasize in what you just said is the excitement I have is in the sense that a lot of these fun, satisfying joyful changes in sure. our lives. And so just like you said, I mean, there is so much good, delicious food out there that um, if you, sh you know, that if we, if we kind of embark on that sort of joyful culinary journey is part of um, helping to save the planet. Same thing with walk to work, you know, Wednesdays, as you say, or bike to work or navigate the new landscape, yeah. but it's, it's exciting and it's fun. Yes, for sure. Well, so just in in summary, although the IPCC report was bleak, what we did learn is that at the core of this is the human factor. And then the good news about that is since it is, in fact, the human factor, that means that we have the capability of changing the outcome if we change our behaviors. And so one day, one thing Think of one thing that you can do today for Earth Day. And for this full report, you can log on at conservationinternational.org. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time and your gifts and your, your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. I'm Julian Hyde, President and CEO of United Way of Southern Nevada, inviting you to join me and Chet Buchanan to tee off for a good cause at our 65th anniversary Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Buy your tickets today at uwsn.org slash golf. This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Today I'm speaking with Antioco Carrillo, Executive Director of Aid for AIDS of Nevada, or AFAN, who is celebrating his 10th anniversary with the organization. 
This year, they'll be holding the 32nd annual AIDS Walk Las Vegas in person for the first time after a two-year hiatus due to COVID. Antioko, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for having us. So what exactly does Aid for AIDS of Nevada do? So AFAN is the oldest and largest AIDS service organization in the state. We were established in 1984, and it was established by a group of volunteers that were seeing a lot of their friends and loved ones being mistreated and dying and being in a very terrible situation. So they organized and they formed essentially an organization to help their friends and family members and loved ones. And as a result, we have developed, the organization developed all kinds of services throughout its existence. It's been 38 years in which just thought that it was going to be, you know, maybe 10 years at the most, but now it's been 38 years since, since the foundation of the organization. And throughout the years, there have been different needs that the community go through. Mm-hmm. And, and for that, the organization adapts and change to make sure that it tailors the needs of the community. So, you know, in the past, we were always talking about death and dying issues because there was no medication and, you know, a lot of grief counseling and a lot of issues that you were able to see. But Mm -hmm. after 1996, there was medication introduced into the market and it prolonged and bettered the lives of most of the clients that we had, right? And Mm -hmm. so this idea of death and dying, of course, we still deal with it once in a while, but it's no longer the forefront of what we do. It's more about how do people live with HIV? Uh, mm-hmm. How do people enjoy a life that they probably didn't think they, they could enjoy after a diagnosis? Because right now it's much, much different than how it used to be in the 80s and 90s, early 90s. Right. Yeah. You, know, you, you take the regimens, the pills, they don't have a lot of side effects. They do have some, but not as many compared to the 80s and whenever. And all they have to do is just focus on their lives and better their lives and their bodies and their their health, which is very, very different than how we used to be. But if you look at it from this perspective, I think is good, is fantastic. But I also think is a barrier for us to, to send the messages of prevention, of HIV prevention, because you have younger generation of individuals that are just thinking, okay, so if I get HIV, all I got to do is just take a pill and life will fine. Because if people are not dying, so, you know, who cares? If I get it, I'm just going to take a pill. And I think it's it's fine, but the risk for people to become poor after the diagnosis is much higher Mm -hmm. than if they're not positive. And part of it is because clearly when people are diagnosed, they have the need for additional medical visits, for medication, for additional monitoring of all kinds of aspects of their bodies and their lives. And oftentimes that if they're not prepared, that takes them away from work. That takes them away from, you know, fulfilling other responsibilities. Sometimes they just end up sick in the hospital, uh, more so than people that may not be diagnosed. And that can put them at risk of losing their jobs, put them at risk of, you know, missing opportunities that they they could get Mm -hmm. without being positive. And so And the result, I always believe the result, and I always see, is that inevitably the income is the one that suffers. And oftentimes, uh, that is really what keeps people apart. 
So obviously things have changed a lot in the 38 years since the foundation was established, but how has AFAN grown just over the past 10 years since you've been the executive director? AFAN has its challenges like every other nonprofit. You know, over the last two years, it hasn't been easy for any nonprofit and mm -hmm. that includes us. But yeah. over the last 10 years, you know, I have seen the programs that have been needed to be implemented here. I implemented them. I also have dismantled a couple of other programs that were no longer needed. And so we modify with time. Uh, I think my main focus when I first came to the organization was to kind of streamline the services and ensure that the services that were needed were the only ones that we provided. And so I, I managed to run the organization in a very lean way where there was absolutely no room for anything extra because the focus was in essentially the sustainability of the organization, mm -hmm. the strategic ideas to where we're going to be and to continue to provide as much as we could to clients. And, uh, you know, the organization goes up and down, like every other nonprofit organizations, they go up and down in service. Sometimes you expand, sometimes you, you know, reduce services based on what you experience in the community. Uh, I remember in 2011, in 2012, we were still coming out of the recession. A lot of people, a lot of the clients that were accessing services, they had jobs, but they were losing all kinds of income and they lost their homes and people that were like you and I had a normal job. All of a sudden there was a need for them to just come back and access services because there was a challenge that we had after the recession. So slowly that changed. And, and what, what that did for the organization, for us, we started doing a lot more trainings, a lot more education for clients. Uh, and so we engage with clients at every single level from training, education, referral to treatment and so forth, right? So from mm -hmm. that perspective, we engage the clients a little bit more from the perspective of fundraising. I think our fundraising of efforts over the last 10 years have transformed themselves into what they are now, which are much more popular and attended than I've ever remember seeing them. And I think it has a lot to do with, with us finding a specific place to have some sort of a, a niche, if, you, if mm -hmm. you want to call it that, to make sure that people come to our events because they know what the cause is. They know they support the cause. And for the most part, they have the best time their lives. I don't know if you've ever been to our events, but uh, many times they have, when they come uh, to the AIDS walk, for instance, we have tons of individuals that come with their kids and their pets, and it's a family affair. And they just love coming in when we have entertainment from the strip. They come and support us all the time. And so I think what's what's fantastic about this AIDS walk is that it's, it's really Vegas-like. It's mm -hmm. very much like Vegas. All the local shows come and support us, and everybody gets energized and excited about participating because it's fun. And you know, I'm not comparing it with anybody else, but what I have known over the last 10 years is that our events became a little more engaging with the community, and so they became more popular with the community as a result of that. So what did you do to raise funds over the past two years when you couldn't hold the AIDS walk? We struggled. We prayed mm -hmm. a lot, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else. 
Yeah. Obviously, we took advantage of some of the opportunities we had from the government with the PPP loans and with additional loans that we got from the federal government. But we were able to survive. And I think it's as if it was timed. You know, the amount of funds that we were able to procure from the COVID relief funds, they were able to carry us through uh, essentially to the place where we are right now, where now we feel the need to go back and, and, and raise the funds that support the organization face to face. And I think we are ready. I think the biggest struggle and the biggest issues that we had uh, over the last two years, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, was the unknown. Yeah. And it was it was a challenge for all of us because at some point my staff would come and try to get answers from me and I couldn't give them any answers. And I remember saying to them several times in staff meeting, I said, look, we are all in the same boat. We don't know. We're going home and work from home. How long are we going to do that for? We don't know. How long are we going to have enough money to continue to do services? I don't know. But the only thing I can do is that I can be upfront and open with you and tell you where we are. And so we managed to just continue the services. I lost two people. And the reason I lost two people is because they found other opportunities that were more flexible than what I was able to provide them. Hmm. And so those individuals that left, it was their own choice. I didn't have to make cuts. And that also speaks about the quality and the commitment of the staff that I have. Because throughout this time, I've noticed they have engaged in this commitment to the organization and to the services, even though most people are complaining and there is no employees, you can't find people to just fulfill regular jobs and case managements and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I have not had that issue, but I think it has to do with the culture that we formed in the organization. So it was very clear. I needed to sustain the organization for minimum a couple of years. I didn't know whether it was going to be more or less. I needed yeah. to ensure that I was aware of all the opportunities, COVID relief opportunities we had that we were able to qualify, and we did. And so the staff knew and they were informed about that. So I think that allowed them to just continue the commitment to what we had, because at some point, if, if I don't offer them a lot of money for them to work here as any other nonprofit, uh, what I can offer them is the stability and you know the safety of being here and providing services. I mean, I think that is sometimes more valuable than if you offer more money. People are looking for stability now yeah, and to go back to normal. And so what is it like for us to go back to normal? And speaking of going back to normal, the AIDS Walk Las Vegas is back this year for the 32nd annual AIDS Walk Las Vegas. When and where will it be? We are very excited. We pushed it a little bit further this year. It's going to be happening at Sunset Park on May 1st. And it's going to happen from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. And what's new this time is that uh, we will kick it off with a 5K run. We have never done that before. So we have a walk and we have a 5K run that is going to start right at 8 o'clock. Uh, we're very excited because this is a new opportunity for us, a new venue. We always wanted to just kind of focus more on the park and uh, on different parks because at, at some point it feels more pleasant. And so we're very excited. After two years we just kind of figure, how do we come back? How do we come back and have a nice walk 
that is a little more memorable, where we have been secluded for two years. Well, let's get people the opportunity to run. And so this is what we're doing. Yeah. And you mentioned Las Vegas entertainers. So who are the performers at this year's AIDS Walk? So we, we have, obviously, our Grand Marshals, our loyal Grand Marshals, Penn and Teller. They are the ones that start the walk every year, and we're very grateful for them and their support. We have Chippendales. Chippendales are always, always very loyal as well. They come and perform and warm up the individuals before the walk. Uh, we have WOW, Las Vegas Spectacular. We have the Naked Boy singer, Singing, and in that group, obviously, they're not going to <laughs> They're not going to make it because right. <laughs> it's during the day we have, in the morning we have children. We have and we families, have yeah. <laughs> so this is not the place. But it's good for them to sing with their clothes on, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> we have, you know, the show Extravaganza and we have Potter. That is a new show that I have not seen yet. So, but those are just one of the few that are signed up. And there's several more that we're just finalizing. So there's going to be a lot more surprises. And I think... That's what the community really looks for. They look for an opportunity to just see what new shows are coming into town. And they get a taste in our events, especially in the AIDS one. Yeah. We have been very lucky that the entertainment industry have been very supportive of our event and the AIDS work. And because any of the new shows that need additional exposure, they come and they also perform for our audience. And it's always a great success. And so we're always excited because it's it's new, it's fresh. And like I said, the location is fresh. Uh, the entertainers, they're always committed to spend time with us. The people that come to the event find the opportunity to approach the entertainers sometimes. They just go up to them because they see them walking, they see them after the performance. And they talk to them and they approach them. They have selfies and social media and all of that stuff. They're very good. Nice. What other types of events do you hold throughout the year? We hold several other events. The other major event that we have is our black and white event, the black and Mm -hmm. white party. And it is held at the end of the summer. And that one is for adults. That's 21 and over. That's obviously... It's uh, the black and white, and it's, it's packed with entertainment. That one is more packed with a lot more numbers and a lot more people attending. And that one is a, a, like an extravaganza. That's our version of the gala, which is not a gala. But I think that what we have been able to find is that through the events, we are able to find our mark and people look for us and look for the events that we're going to be able to have. For the AIDS walk, I think one of the best memories I know is that there is grandma in a wheelchair, and there is the grandkids, and there is the dog, and it's the (laughs) whole family walking, and they know why they're walking. They have a relative, they have a friend, they have a sibling, they have someone that has been infected. And for us, that makes it worthwhile because it's an opportunity for people to get out of the house, go to a nice park, before it gets too hot, yeah, experience a little bit of a show that Las Vegas has to offer mm-hmm. and, and provide support to a cause that is dear to their heart. And that I can't ask for anything else. And so, and it's easy for people to just to participate. All they have to do is just go to our website, afanlb.org, and they're able to register 
fundraise for themselves, for their team, ask for other people to do fundraising and come to the event. They get their t-shirts, they get to be identified and it's the best thing. You know, one of the things that I just love also is how the corporations come, you know, Walgreens and MGM and the major corporations that we have in town, they mm -hmm. come in with their employees and they have their own t-shirts. They're specifically marked where they come from. And oh, nice. I love, I love that because that's that's a way for them to also do something out of the corporation. And they support us. They have their tables. They have their tents. And they are very, very good to us. Uh, we're very excited because we are really, really thinking that this is going to be one of the biggest we're going to have because we have been enclosed for two years. So Yeah, there's a pent-up demand. Yeah, we're hoping that everybody's going to have a great time. And that's part of the reason we just instituted the 5K run, because we also know that some people want to walk and some people just feel the need to run after being <laughs> secluded for two years. Yeah, yeah, good point, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Again, the AIDS Walk Las Vegas is taking part this year on May 1st from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Sunset Park. It includes a 5K run this year. And you can register for AIDS Walk Las Vegas at afanlv.org. That's A-F-A-N-L-V.org. And I guess you're on social media as well, at afanlv on social media? Absolutely. In all the social media platforms, once you get to one, you get to all of them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them. Uh, the registration for the walk is $25. And for the run is $50. But if you can't afford it, come anyways. We would love to have you. And I'm assuming that when they get to the website, they can also find out about other things that Aid for AIDS of Nevada is doing as a whole and other events that are coming up? Absolutely. You will find an opportunity to see additional way of supporting us through other events. But also you will find out more in depth the services we provide. You know, we provide medical transportation, we provide housing assistance, assessments for case management. We have a dietitian on, on staff who is able to meet with clients and provide food vouchers. Uh, we have a housing program specifically with 20 units. And so all of those services are available for people that qualify. But by attending the AIDS walk, they're able to support all those programs and give us the opportunity to keep expanding services and modifying the services that are needed as we move forward in the future. That's fantastic. And we have to have you back closer to the end of the summer to talk about the black and white party as well. So we'll have you back on the show to talk about that. Absolutely. We'll be happy to come back. Perfect. All right. And once again, so the AIDS Walk Las Vegas is on May 1st from 8 to 11 a.m. at Sunset Park. Go to afanlv.org for all the details or to register or find them on social media at afanlv on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Antioko, I want to thank you so much for being here and for letting us know more about what your organization is doing. And I wish you the best of luck and welcome back into the community. Thank you, Heather. We really appreciate it. Stay safe. In honor of all those we've lost to cancer and those still fighting and thriving, like basketball analyst Dick Vitale. I want to beat cancer. I'm going to beat it. That's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to win this battle. Defeating cancer will take all of us. At the V Foundation, V is for victory over cancer. V is for victory over giving up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 
Join our team in the fight against cancer at V.org. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives around the Valley. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and Prevent Child Abuse Nevada is on a mission to inspire healthy and safe communities for children and families. The Pinwheels for Prevention campaign represents the bright futures children deserve. You can support the initiative by making pinwheels, planting a pinwheel garden, or displaying pinwheels at work. Find out more about the campaign at preventchildabusenevada.org. April is also Autism Awareness Month. Turo University, Nevada is home to the state's largest school of medicine, as well as the Center for Autism and Developmental Disabilities, or CAD. This state-of-the-art facility offers therapy services for qualifying children between 18 months and 12 years old. Find out more about autism and CAD services, including their grant program, at torocad.org. That's torocadd.org. The Nevada Wheelchair Foundation is giving out free wheelchairs to those who need them and can't afford them. To request a wheelchair or help with the mission, visit nevadawheelchairfoundation.org. The Mob Museum is hosting a free family-friendly Community Safety Day Fair this weekend on Sunday, April 24th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the new Outdoor Mob Museum Event Plaza. Traffic safety is a serious and increasingly important issue in the Las Vegas Valley. In partnership with the Road Equity Alliance Project, the museum will showcase interactive experiences, activities and demonstrations, as well as giveaways, vendor partners, a food truck and more. Get the details at themobmuseum.org. The Feed My Sheep Homeless Outreach is having their monthly Potluck in the Park on Monday, April 25th at 5.30 p.m. at Sunset Park. To volunteer, donate, or find out more about the organization's Potluck in the Park events or regular street feedings, go to FeedMySheepOutreach.com. Move for Less is sponsoring a Teacher Appreciation Week gift basket giveaway, including a $1,500 gift card for the winning teacher. Nominate your favorite teacher by the deadline, Wednesday, April 27th at midnight. Find the nomination form and more information at moveforlessnevada.com. That's move number four, lessnevada.com. The Douglas J. Green Memorial Foundation is holding their 8th annual Munchies for the Military donation drive until April 28th. Drop off your donations, such as breakfast items, snack foods, wet wipes, and more, at various locations throughout Henderson, including Liberty High School, Paseo Verde Library, City of Henderson City Hall, or any Henderson Rec Centers. For other ways to support the foundation or get involved, visit douglasjgreenmemorialfoundation.org. The nonprofit Downtown Vegas Alliance, or DVA, has partnered with the City of Las Vegas to prevent special offers from downtown hotels, businesses, and venues during the NFL draft from Thursday, April 28th to Saturday, April 30th. More than 500,000 people are expected to attend the NFL Draft experience on the Las Vegas Strip, but downtown Las Vegas offers a fun alternative for taking in all the action, complete with watch parties and other special events at select venues. Find all the DVA's NFL Draft offers at lasvegasnevada.gov under the News section. 
Aid for AIDS of Nevada, or AFAN, is hosting the 32nd annual AIDS Walk Las Vegas in person for the first time in two years on Sunday, May 1st from 8 to 11 a.m. at Sunset Park. This year's walk will kick off with a 5K run for the first time ever. Register for the event or find out more at afanlv.org. The Space is showcasing The Life of Stephen Sondheim with a special concert on Thursday, May 12th at 8 p.m. at The Space. All proceeds from the show will benefit the Actors Fund. Buy your tickets or find out more at thespacelv.com. Also at The Space, don't miss the bi-monthly Monday's Dark Fundraisers. Upcoming shows include Monday, April 25th at 8 p.m., benefiting families for effective autism treatment. Monday, May 9th at 8 p.m., benefiting Project Marilyn. And Monday, May 23rd at 8 p.m., benefiting Operation Homefront. Get all the details at mondaysdark.com. The United Way of Southern Nevada is hosting their 65th annual Golf United Tournament on Thursday, May 26th at the Revere Golf Club. Join Chet Buchanan and UWSN President and CEO Julian High to honor the legends and leaders trailblazing the path for future generations. Buy your tickets or find out more at uwsn.org golf. When I was younger, I may have did some stupid things, even committed some crimes. I'm not a criminal. Youth Advocate Programs is a community-based alternative to youth incarceration, congregate placement, and neighborhood violence. Learn how at yapinc.org. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.